let you know the team's a dynasty. What you gonna be? A hustler, cuss, they bind, we selling, but everything legal, bro. Snoop too long, and it's hard for you to wake up. Never had an hour job, but I stack paper up. 20 years old, ain't too early for no credit, bro. 30 years old, ain't too late to get your credit up. What you gonna do if they issue you a pay cut? And all your money gone from your savings, you was stacking up. All we trying to say is, don't be him, home. Muscle up with Jim, not the gym with the white home. Really take flight, not just get fly home. Get in the car to make a feel some type of way like rich home. What we trying to say is, you gotta make investment. Paper money won't last if you don't invest it. Something like credit suite, cleaning up your messes. Learn the equity, even how to do your taxes. If you can buy one house, you can flip two. If you can buy one car, then you can buy two. If you ever say the thousand dollars, you can say two. Stop working hard, let the money do the work for you. If you can buy one house, you can flip two. If you can buy one car, then you can buy two. If you ever say the thousand dollars, you can turn it into two. Stop working hard, let the money do the work for you. What is going on? This is Mike Clark, Kill Procrastination. We have a great, great interview. Miss um, Tanya Weather, she's actually doing a part two with me, has some issues on the truck, but she's being kind enough to do this again with me. Uh, Miss Tanya Weather is a real estate investor, a consultant. Not only that, she also has her own real estate academy that she's starting up called Breaking Curses. Look, we're going to break so many curses with this interview right here, man. And I'm very, very excited about it. Miss Weathers, how are you doing today? I'm doing good. How are you? So happy to be back. Yes, yes. I'm doing well. I'm doing well. I'm, I'm just, I'm glad to talk to you again. Um, I definitely want to just jump right into it. Can you give us a little uh, bio about yourself, please? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm Tanya Weathers, like you said, real estate investor and consultant. I've been investing in real estate for about seven years now. Uh, my specialty is fix and flips, buy and holds, uh, Airbnbs. I'm starting to venture into mortgage notes and multifamily. Uh, so I kind of do it all. And uh, one of my big, big passions is teaching women, minority women especially, how to break curses using real estate. And uh, I think it's, it's a big, big need within our community to start breaking those curses, especially when it comes to financial wellness. So yeah, that, that's about me. I'm just really excited to, to share all the goodies I got for you. Yes, yes. I'm excited as well. Um, I want to go right into... Uh, a big piece, um, your education, because we talked about that briefly on the phone. And I just feel like, you know, there's a lot of stigma against going to college, but I really feel like there, there's two big pieces of why you should still consider it. One, of course, is networking. Networking is a big piece. And then two, of course, when we talked, you said how it helped you with structuring, you know, you know, your writing, you know, what you do research wise. Like, I want you to go into that and, you know, just let some people know, like, hey, you know, I know there's other options, but I definitely want to focus on this piece as well. Yeah, absolutely. So I'll start with kind of my education background. So um, I, first and foremost, my, my family was really, really big on education. So starting in elementary school, education was really important to me. Um, I was an AB student all throughout, you know, middle school, high school, college. I actually went to the University of South Florida in Tampa, home of the Bulls. 
Um, and I actually originally majored in computer engineering. So I knew that I wanted to go on a path that the world was getting into. At that time in 2001, um, you know, computers, it was, it was just getting into the internet age. And so I knew that computer engineering was going to be a fantastic uh, field to go into. So I started off with computer engineering. I've always loved math always loved computers. Um, and then I actually transitioned into another degree. I transitioned into multimedia uh, journalism and uh, actually ended up doing a master's program in adult education. And so, you know, it, all three of those are three completely different fields, but I knew that no matter what field I went into, that the importance was the education piece of it. Of course, if I know people, they tend to go into college with a specific career in mind, which I did, but I also knew the, the basics that a college education would give me that's you know being able to organize being able to structure and plan be able to critically think um, those things i think were really really important for me they always are important and um, it actually allowed me to transition into various different career paths um, and so i actually at the end of the day my main career uh, for probably the past 10 years has been as an instructional designer, which is a fancy way of saying that I work with companies to develop training programs. I started off in the tech department of most of these, these uh, companies, working with their software engineers, working with their project managers, helping them one, break down what they were doing for other people to understand, for their customers, for their employees, um, in developing training programs, e-learning, in-person. Um, so you can just imagine what I said that I did computer engineering, did multimedia journalism, did adult education. You can see how all of that kind of combined um, for that, that career path for me. Uh, but I do know, especially when it comes to the money side of it. You know, a four year plus college education is expensive, but I'm never gonna say that you shouldn't go for a college education. I do say you should go for some type of education, no matter what it is, whether it's at a four year university, a two year community college, a specialty program, go for the education and not just for the subject matter, but for also the discipline that education brings to you. So I'm a, I'm a big advocate for, for education all around. No, no, you, you you hit the nail on the head right there. I mean, education is a big piece. Um, I didn't go to college at the time. I wanted to go. However, you know, I just jumped right into the military and the military did, um, it kind of molded me and it definitely gave me that discipline. So, you know, but now I know I got to go back to school. I definitely need to get more organized. I need to get more structured. And I feel like that would benefit me, you know, because I, I was getting that issue where you know, you can go on YouTube, you can keep learning this and learning that, but I, I feel like there's just so much stuff that you can actually learn. And then also the networking piece, like I said, is like, you yeah. know, you got to put that into it consideration as well. Um, so Miss Miss Weather, I want to go right into it, transitioning out of college. Um, what got you into real estate? You know, you're a woman, you know, minority. I mean, what, what, what got you doing that? Because I have so many people that at least listen to me, you know, even when I talk to them, they're so scared, especially the women. They're very, very scared. And I'm like, look, we need you guys here in here, you ladies in here, because y'all bring a lot more to the table than the men. I'm, I'm like, I'm going to be honest. <laughs> we do. <laughs> well, I'll say this. So, you know, 
after college and getting into that career as being an instructional designer, I kind of fell into kind of the trap where a lot of people are, you know, where they're in a job that they may or may not enjoy. I actually enjoyed my work, um, but it was just, it wasn't enough. It wasn't enough that where I can build generational wealth for myself, and I sure couldn't build it for my family. And I always have that in the back of my mind. I think during that time too, I was really focused on building my credit and making sure that I wasn't in severe debt, trying to figure out how to pay these student loans and, and all of these, and then how to save. And I quickly realized that I'm, I, I can't do that doing this career that I'm doing. Um, I would have to live very frugally in order to do that. And so I always kind of had that in the back of my mind. But at the time, to be honest, my focus was really about family. My focus was I wanted to find um, love. I wanted to eventually become a mother. And those are two things that was always really strong within me. Um, I, had, I come from a strong background, really big family. And um, I was kind of bred, if you will, to be a wife and a mother. And so actually for me, um, in 2014, I, you know, I, I was in a great relationship with a wonderful man. Um, and I finally, after my goodness, I don't know how many tries, I was finally pregnant and I just knew that the path that I was seeking was, it was gonna come to fruition. Um, but unfortunately, after about six months of that pregnancy, I was pregnant with twins, a boy and a girl. Um, after six months of, of that pregnancy, I actually delivered stillborn babies. And so it was a traumatic experience for me, very traumatic, um, especially having all of this stuff instilled in me that I'm supposed to be a wife and I'm supposed to be a mother. And um, after, after that happened, the relationship that I was in as well, that kind of crumbled to pieces. So I didn't know what to do. I didn't know which direction I was supposed to go. I was kind of done with men. I was done with trying to figure out this whole thing. And so what I said was, I need to find myself and my true me. And um, I always went back to kind of what was always there in the back of financial wellness, living in abundance in this world that I just wasn't being able to, what I wasn't able to do in the career that I was in. Um, and then I also started thinking about the community that I came from is even though I came from a big family, there was never any talk about building financial wealth. There was never any talk about abundance in life and be able to travel and experience the great things in life. All there was is when are you going to have a family? When are you going to, you know, do this and that, that traditional path? And so I decided I'm not going to take that traditional path. I'm going to focus on something to build generational wealth and that I can pass down to hopefully the children that I may have in the future. And that's when real estate came up, because when I was on that journey of trying to find out how to build this generational wealth, real estate kept coming up over and over and over again. I kept hearing all of the, you know, the wealthy people out there talking about you want to build wealth, real estate is the way. And so I said, well, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to choose real estate and learn everything that I can about it, the good, the bad, the ups, the down, and figure out how I can now get into this space that usually is not available to 
our community. Um, and so that's kind of how I how I started it, it actually started from trauma, but I believe that taking trauma and really turning it into something positive um, is, is a, a big um, a big way to push yourself forward. It's a it's a great journey to be on. I, I'm not going to lie. It, it, you know what? That's one of the reasons why I wanted you to come on because you have a powerful message, powerful story. And, you know, one piece that I want to go back on is your identity, like how, you know, you were bred, like, as you say, to be a wife and a mother. And then when that identity went away, you know, can you at least speak on that piece to women who have a certain identity and then to get into real estate, how do, how do you make some sort of, how do you make that transition? Yeah, I mean, I think, I think for me, and I can only speak for myself, is that I've always been a woman that wanted to excel in whatever it is that I did, even if it was to be a wife, right? I wanted to be the best damn wife that I could be. And I think I've always had that within me. Um, and so, but I just had to transition what was always in me into, uh, into a different journey, right? And so I think you and I'm speaking to women out there, you have to find out what it is that's within you already. Without the labels being put on you, without society and the social media and what, what's being reflected back at you, you need to look at you and find out what's deep within you that you know is there and find a way to, to, to make it and to turn that into a positive that is your destiny and something that you're passionate about. Because let's be let's be honest, real estate is not going to be for everybody. You know, some people are they're they they love stocks, they love you know hair, they love whatever it is. But you need to find that passion within you to then apply that to something that's going to better you and your family. No, absolutely, absolutely, and, and that's what I want to bring to the viewers. I want you guys to understand, it, especially ladies. This is a powerful message. So just, you know, hear what Miss Weathers is saying with a grain of salt and just understand like you can, anything is possible at this point, you know, with communication technology, you know, there's so many different avenues people can go in. Like you said, it doesn't have to be necessarily real estate. It could be stocks. It could be whatever. Right. We don't have to be so scared to get into it. Cause we know in the past, it's been so scary to get into stocks. It's so scary to get into real estate. But with the information out there now, you know, with networking with people like Miss Weathers and other women around, I'm telling you, you, you can definitely be successful. Um, now, yeah. I do want to transition, Miss Weathers, uh, into the way I found you. I actually found you on Instagram. And there was a five-part series that, man, I fell in love with. Yeah. I really did. It was so many different ways, so many uh, creative financing pieces that was into this, uh, to this deal that you did. And I want you to break that down for us. Um, I, I definitely want the viewers to go check out the five part series, but you know, if you could just give us a recap, that'd be yeah. good. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm really excited about, you know, what happened recently um, is probably one of the, the biggest moments in my real estate career so far. Um, so basically I, like I said, I knew I wanted to get into real estate and I didn't necessarily know the exact route that I wanted to go, but I kept hearing over and over and over again for beginners, the best way to get into real estate is to house hack. 
So, and if you haven't heard of that term before, house hacking is basically buying a property that you can live in as well as you can get tenants to live in as well. So think of something like a duplex or um, in my case, it was a property that had a main house in the front. It was a, a two bedroom, one bath in the front and you walk through the gate and in the back, there was a two story uh building that had two and a half baths in it. So it wasn't necessarily a duplex side by side in traditional sense, um, but it was a, a, a situation where I could live in it and I can get tenants to live in the other part. So that's kind of what house hacking is. And once you get those tenants in there, the rent that they pay is paying for your mortgage. So that's what I did. Um, I'm located here in Dallas. That's what I did here in Dallas about four years ago and three and a half, four years ago. and um, I found this this perfect situation where okay perfect this this house is already is, is a turnkey meaning that I didn't really have to do anything to it the previous owner had already fixed it up and made it look nice yeah. and so I was like oh this is a perfect situation worked with my realtor to to get that house um, and I know the question out there is okay how did you how did you get that house Tanya what finances did you use well. Um, from the jobs that I current that I previously had, um, I actually have 401ks from those previous previous jobs. And with 401k, you can use that funds. Most people think that you can't use your, your 401k funds until you retire, but there's certain situations where you can use them. For example, when you're buying a home or if you just had a new baby, things like that, you can use your 401k for. Um, so if you're a first time home buyer, you can take money from your 401k and use it as the down payment. And also because I was a first time home buyer, I qualified for the FHA grant, which I believe only allowed me, um, I only had to put down like 3.5% of that. So the money that I had in my 401k, I used that to put down the down payment on the property. Um, at the time, the house was worth 300. 300,000, so I paid 300,000 for it and used that, uh, that down payment. And so, um, my plan was, is that I was going to hold that property until it appreciated, you know, have the tenants stay in there in the meantime, pay the mortgage, um, and hold that property until, and, until it appreciated. Well, uh, that's exactly what happened. So after about a year and a half, I believe, um, I no longer lived in it after about a year and a half, because at that point, I just had one tenant. But I was like, you know what, I'm going to move out because, um, side note, with a FHA loan, you must be the primary resident in that property for, I believe it's at least two years um, before you can move out and, and it becomes an investment property. So I knew I had to stay in there for about a year and a half uh, to two years. Um, and so once I moved out, I got a tenant in the back house. So at this point, I have a tenant in the front house paying rent, and I have a tenant in the back house paying rent, and they're taking care of the mortgage. I got a property manager to, to manage the property because uh, I actually decided to travel and do some, some traveling around the world. And so I knew that I wasn't going to be able to manage it anymore. So I got a property manager to do that. They were able to take care of getting new tenants, and anytime they had any repair hair problems. They went to the property manager and they just sent me my checks every month. So it was a beautiful situation. And um, 
so fast forward to this year, I was like, okay, COVID hit a lot of people hard. COVID was really hard for a lot of people. But when it comes to real estate, real estate lost its mind during COVID. I mean, the housing prices skyrocketed. It's definitely a seller's market right now. And um, so I was like, okay, let me see see what the market's going to say. So I got me a realtor, got an appraisal done. And they're like, you know what? I think that you can, you can make this a pretty good profit. You might be able to sell this for maybe about 380, 385. Uh, remember I bought it for 300 and um, she was like, yeah, I think you can sell for about 380, 385. I was like, okay, all right, let's, let's see. I was like, do you think we should put it on the market? And she's like, actually, no, I don't even think we need to put it on the market. The market is so hot right now. I can just put the word out and not even put it on the, the MLS. I can just put the word out and uh, let's see what we get. So um, she put the word out and immediately, I would say the very next day, she said, I already got a couple of buyers. Like what? Okay. So um, I think I went through at least three buy two or three buyers. Um, the first couple didn't work out because they wanted me to do some things to the house that I just wasn't willing to do. Um, but the, the third buyer ended up working out and we got another appraisal done and it ended up that not only could we sell it for 385, which she actually originally thought. She's like, oh, we can sell it for 400. Like, what? 400? She's like, we can sell it for 400. And that's exactly what ended up happening. So found the buyer, got the appraisal done, got the inspections done, got the paperwork done, boom, 100K day. So it was, it was definitely unexpected. And I'll tell you why it was even more unexpected, because I actually tried to sell the house in December, this past December, um, December 2020, and it didn't appraise for 400. Matter of fact, it actually only appraised for, I think it was 310, which was crazy to me because I was like, I've had this property for three and a half, four years. How did it only go up 10K? But I think COVID did kind of, you yeah. know, mess with it just a little bit. And um, now just a few months later, it it went all the way up to 400. So I was really, really surprised when that ended up happening. So that was a really good day for me. Really good day. Man, I'll, congratulations first. Let's say that first. <laughs> but I do want to break, break down, you know, that deal a little bit um, just well, yeah. prior to the actual deal, you know, when you actually lived in it, um, the safety part of it, I really want to, to, you know, break that down because I know house hacking, like you said, is a great beginning tool. I actually use it myself. And, you know, from a woman's perspective, I definitely think this is imperative that we break this down. You know, how comfortable did you feel when you, you know, set up that rule where you're going to live in the back and you're going to have someone living in the front um, that you, you know, did, were you deciding what gender was getting put in? I mean, what was your thought process on how you were going to do this? Right. Yeah. So I know that's a big concern um, with house hacking, especially with women, because you know that you have to live next to these people. And so you as the landlord, you have the deciding factor, right? You can decide who's living in your property within the laws, you know, within the laws. Um, 
but I was very particular about the criteria that I had. So the criteria I had was very similar to most landlords, most apartment complexes, right? So I did a criminal background check. I did look to see if there was um, any felonies on the record, if there were, what kind of felonies, you know, I completely went against anything that was sex crimes or, you know, any, any big criminal offenses, things like that. So I looked for that. Um, I also wanted to make sure that they could pay me every month. So I looked at their credit report. I wanted to see, did they have collections? I wanted to see, you know, did they have bankruptcies? Um, how much were the, the monthly payments that were they were making on their credit cards, right? Um, did they have outstanding car loans? Whatever it is, I wanted to see. And I actually wanted to make sure that their credit score was in a certain criteria that met my needs. I looked for a minimum of 650. Again, you as a landlord, you can look for whatever you choose, whatever you're comfortable with. But I was comfortable with 650 credit score. I didn't want to see any bankruptcies. I didn't want to see any collections. I was very specific about that. Um, and uh, like I said, with a criminal background history, I didn't want to see any felonies. Um, I also wanted to get the pay stubs. I wanted to look and see, do you actually have the money to pay me every month? You know, do you have a job? Do you have pay stubs that has consistent um, payments coming in? Um, you know, and I made the criteria that I needed to see that your monthly was, I believe at the time I said it had to be two times the month rent that you had to make on a monthly basis. Excuse me, I said three times. So I wanted to see that you made three times the monthly rent. Um, so I looked at things like that. So those three criteria right there, criminal background, credit report, and your, your payroll, your, your, your pay stub, those three automatically uh, cut down the people that was going to be staying there. Yeah. You know, we took care of safety with criminal. We took care of um, making sure that the pay that, you know, the rent checks are going to get paid with the payroll stubs and and the credit check. And so those kind of make me feel comfortable initially. Yes. But then I also wanted to meet them. I think that's really important, too. I also really wanted to meet them. So when they said that they were interested, I made sure that they sent me all the paperwork. I did all the background check. And then once that cleared, then, all right, we can do we can do a walkthrough and see that you're interested. And I wanted to meet them. I wanted to talk to them, um, get to know them a little bit better. And then I could make a decision on if I were to feel comfortable living with them. Um, I did not discriminate regarding uh, gender, so I didn't care if it was male or female, that didn't matter to me. I, I just wanted to make sure that I felt comfortable with you. Um, I think the great thing about being a woman is we have wonderful intuition. Yes. And so I, I consider myself to be uh, very full of intuition, I, uh, empathic type of person. So um, I, I go off of vibes as well. So I did my due diligence when it comes to the, you know, the technical stuff, but then I did my emotional due diligence with the vibe check too. And so once I got that clear, I was like, all right, I think we can move forward. Um, that's what I, that's what I did. So especially for the women out there, I say, go through the same process. If, if you know that you have a certain criteria of who you want to live next to be picky, be picky. That is your home too. So be picky and, um, don't, but don't be afraid to say, this is what I want. And this is what I don't want, no, you, especially you when you're house hacking. 
Yeah, you, you're absolutely right, Ms. Weather. And one thing that I want people to understand is you did your due diligence on the first half, you know, the paperwork wise, you know, making sure they're a great candidate. But this is a piece I think a lot of people miss. I missed it myself. I know other people do. And I think this is very, a great tip for women, you know, is doing that walkthrough and getting a, you know, a vibe or understanding of who's actually coming in, you know, because some people, you know, they can come in, you, they can either they can't hold a conversation or, you know, they start saying something that doesn't make sense. And then you really understand who they are beyond the paper. I know, I mean, for example, you could say, you know, somebody's trying to apply for a job, you know, they look great on paper. But when you do that interview, it's, it's totally different. <laughs> Totally different. Totally different. So think of it just like an interview. Do that interview. There's a reason why employers do that interview, because there's one thing that's on that resume. There's a whole another thing when you walk through that door. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So yeah, I, I love that piece. And that's a, those are great tips. Um, I want to go right into when you transition from saying, OK, well, I met the two year requirement. Now I want to rent out the full property. Um, the property manager, how do you go about finding a property manager? Um, I know a lot of people don't like using property managers. One, because you know they, they didn't do the numbers prior. So they didn't know that they're gonna pay more for the property manager and it, it cuts into the expense. Then they wanna skim over because the property manager might wanna do updates. It just, I mean, what, what made you wanna get a property manager and you know what were your criteria for that property manager? Yeah, so um, the first thing that made me want to get a property manager is because I knew that I wanted to travel. So I knew that I wasn't going to be able to handle it myself. So I knew I needed somebody to handle it. Um, and I just felt more comfortable going with a company rather than, a, you know, an individual that may do this um, because I wanted I wanted a reputable company. And so I actually just basically started asking around. I did a couple of Google searches, made a few phone calls. Um, I knew that there were certain things I wanted them to do in my absence, right? So I wanted to make sure that I really didn't have to do anything. I wanted them to do it all. And I just wanted to receive the, the paycheck, right? Um, maybe contact me if something major happens, but that was a big piece for me. Um, I can admit though, that if I had to do it all over again, I probably would have did a little bit more due diligence. You did mention about the, the money part of it and cutting into my funds. And that's exactly what happened to me. I did not do enough due diligence on the front end. Um, even though we had that conversation initially that, all right, when we um, when you get those monthly checks, we're gonna take out a percentage of that for the management fees, uh, which I was like, okay, that's fine. They even said that, when if you have to, you have a turnover right so if um, a tenant moves out at the end of their lease and we'd help you find another tenant we're going to take a chunk of that whatever the 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 new tenant is paying when they first move in we're going to take a chunk of that i was like okay cool i i got that the things that I did not calculate in were expenses like admin fees, expenses like they had a system for the utilities. When I was staying there, I just went ahead and I paid, um, I paid water, I paid trash and sewer and things like that. Um, and I put that against my, my uh, business expenses, but I had the tenant pay the electricity and the gas, right? Mm -hmm. Um, their system was different. They actually 
would have the they set up a whole other uh, third party to handle all the utilities and that came with fees and that came with deposits and that came with all this so i didn't i didn't know that um i also didn't know that um you know when repairs needed to happen of course i knew that when big repairs came about that they were going to send me the the bill for and i was going to have to pay it but i didn't know simple things like if the tenant called and said hey the toilet wasn't working and they didn't have a maintenance person within their company because that was i was thinking originally like okay their property management they have maintenance they have maybe an electrician on staff they have a plumber on staff they have you know they have these people on staff nope that was not the case. They had third party people come out. And every time, anytime somebody came out to fix the toilet or the, the lights weren't working, whatever it was, they were charging just a fee just to come out there yeah. and then the extra fee to, to fix it. And so those things I did not, I did not calculate up front. Now I know if I were to ever get a property manager now, I would know a list of things to ask about their processes, about their fees. Um, I don't want a, an estimate. I want exact numbers. Um, how is their team set up? Things like that. So that's a big piece when you're going to go with the property management company to really know the questions to ask. And, you know, I just want to say that if I was fearful, and was like, oh, I don't want to do this. I would have never learned this lesson. I would never learn the lesson of what to, to find out about a property management. That's what I really, really want to, out of this story, really want to drive home is that there's going to be fears. You're going to be skeptical. There's going to be things that you don't know. And yes, it might cost you, right? But you are never going to learn that lesson if you don't actually go through it. Um, so yeah, that's that's what I can say about property management. So so I would definitely say figure out some, some key points that you want to make sure that you ask a property management company before you get them. No, no, you're absolutely right. Um, I mean, I got a few examples myself because I was going, I was in the middle of trying to get a property manager, but that was one of the issues is one, it was going to cut into my expenses. I didn't even have enough room, you know, strictly to have a property manager, let alone those fees. So I'm, you know, this, yeah. I'm just not hearing about this. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't have been able to make it anyway, but, you know, so I went ahead and I was self-managing the property for a while. And, you know, like you said, I got those calls in the middle of the night. Oh, well, the AC is not blowing that well. I call the AC guy, come out. He says, no, there's nothing wrong with the AC unit. It's a brand new unit. They just didn't change the filter out. You know, um, I had another right. issue where I believe they said the, um, there was something wrong with, like you said, the toilet, it was running. It was just like a little piece that needed to be reconnected. It fell off the hook. It's like, you know, the tenants, of course, they just want you, they, they do believe there's a whole team behind you, but sometimes they don't realize it may be one person, you know? So yeah. people have to just understand there's pros and cons from, you know, self-managing or getting a management company. But as long as you understand expenses, like you were saying, I mean, I feel like you just got to see, does it make sense at the end of the day? Yeah. Absolutely. And another piece that um, I'll say with that, too, is a mistake that I did make when I was managing it on my own. Um, I actually had in the lease that the tenants were responsible for minor repairs. Right. So that was in the lease. 
anything that was dealing with major issues such as HVAC or, you know, yes. plumbing, um, the roof was collapsed, you know, something like that, then, then you would contact me. But anything like a toilet, um, you know, filter changes, things like that, they would have to, to manage that on their own. And I had that in my lease when I was managing. But when I got the property manager, I did not make sure that that get that got transferred into their lease. And I didn't think to ask, I'm not quite sure why, but I didn't think to ask, but their process was different. It didn't matter if it was a toilet or a oh filter or whatever, right? They were gonna contact me and be like, hey, the, the filter needed to be changed, you know, send us 20 bucks. So <laughs> it adds up, it adds up. It adds up, it adds up. And, and that's a big piece right there. Um, I, I do suggest if you're a beginner, um, one thing is you need to have those reserves in place. Um, you know, I was doing a lot of research prior to, you know, getting into um, real estate. My, like I said, my dad, he always did real estate as well. But one thing that I always thought that he fell short on was not having reserves. So I made it a point to make sure I had at least, you know, the first six months saved up that I didn't spend, didn't use at all in case something big came up. So when those plumbing issues came up, whatever came up, it was spent using that emergency fund. Once the rent came out, that was the first thing that was reimbursed. And then, you know, I moved the money that way. Yeah, yeah. And I actually did a, a formula for myself is that out of the monthly profit, there was always 10% of that was going to go towards reserves every yeah. single month. There was an initial amount, I think, um, I think it was about six months of reserves that I had. Um, just off the bat. And then every, every rent check, 10% of that went towards reserves for those repairs and fees and whatever that, that came up. No, yes, that's, man, that's great. Cause everyone needs to understand that you just can't get in this game without having reserves or thinking you could just take the money and just start spending it. Like, right. Something's going to come up. Something always comes up. And, and I also do um, another reason why I always preach about having your personal finances or your business finances in place as well before you start investing, because you can also take advantage of those those credit cards too, right? Because yes. credit cards could also be a part of your reserves. If you have to replace a, a hot water heater, that's going to cost you two, three thousand dollars. You know, are you going to take that from the reserves that you've been saving up or, you know, can you just take that from a, a credit card, which has rewards points that cash back something that could actually go towards another repair. Um, so that's that's also a, a good place to put reserves too within within credit cards. No, absolutely. Miss Weathers. Um, I do want to go back to the ending of your story on the five part series. Um, I think people, it, it might have went above people's heads. They probably didn't hear it. But I want to talk about how you plan on taking some of that capital that you're getting from, you know, that sale of that property, and you're going to place it into whole life insurance. Like this yes. part right here is big. If you don't have a, a pencil paper out, you, you see me. I, I'm, I'm taking notes. You guys need to take notes on this part. Yes. So um, I actually learned about whole life insurance about a year, year and a half ago. Um, I learned it first about velocity banking, uh, paying off debt. 
um, in a super fast way. Um, and then after that, I heard about this concept called infinite banking. And infinite banking is basically becoming your own banker uh, using whole life insurance. And um, if you're not familiar with whole life insurance, Whole life insurance is very different from traditional life insurance. Uh, traditional life insurance, usually, as most people know, it is it's a death benefit, right? That once you pass away, um, your family and you know your your debts and things will be taken care of by that death benefit. Um, but with whole life insurance, there's something that comes with it called cash value, um, and particularly the ones that I I use are high cash value um, whole life insurance policies. And what that means is, besides just that death benefit that we're used to, it also comes with cash value. And so, let's say hypothetically, I'm just going to throw out some some numbers here. Let's say that you have a whole life insurance policy that has a $10,000 a year premium, right? And that can give you, I don't know, start off with, let's go with $500,000 in death benefit, right? Um, you will have, depending on how it's structured, because that's, that's the key part. If you don't hear anything that else that I say, is this is a key part. Depending on how the policy is structured, will determine the cash value that's available in that policy. So let's say you structured it so that all of the money that you're putting in, that $10,000, the majority of it is gonna be available for you to withdraw immediately, right? Some of it's gonna go towards the payments towards the death benefit, but a large portion of that $10,000, you're gonna have available to pull out the very first day that you get that policy. And with the cash value, it's, or with the whole life insurance, it, it's, it, um, it includes dividends, right? So it automatically includes dividends and the money that you pull out, you can use it for whatever. You can use it for paying your rent, paying your car payment, paying for real estate, right? So let's just hypothetically say that in a situation that I was talking about where I house hacked, instead of me taking the money out of my 401k, if I had a whole life insurance policy and I took that money out of my whole life insurance policy and I made those tenants were making me monthly payments, I would attach the interest, whatever interest that I want. Maybe I say, okay, I want to have an extra 10% interest added onto this monthly payment. And I would apply that to the, the rent that the tenants are, are um, paying, right? Um, and I would automatically make that payment back into the policy back into the whole life insurance policy. So not only, and let's just hypothetically say it was $10,000 that I used to put down on the house. I'm paying that back. I'm not only paying that 10,000 back, but I'm paying 10,000 back plus interest yeah. that somebody else is paying. And the policy itself, just by having the money in there is accruing um, interest from dividends, right? And so I easily can go from 10,000 to, 15,000, however much it is. And the, the percentages and why I do that compared to the stock market are completely different. And it's all, it's all about how you structure that policy and how you're, you're paying that interest back 
to the policy. Um, now, I, have, I said all that, but I did not make a disclaimer is that I am not an insurance agent. Oh, I was going to get there. And, yes, <laughs> and I am not a financial advisor. I'm just telling you what it is that I do with my policy. And so that's exactly what I plan on doing with the 100000 that I made. I'm not going to use all 100000 and put it into a policy. I'm actually going to use some of that to pay down some of the debt that I have accrued from my real estate business. But I'm also going to use a, a portion of that to open up another policy and have that high cash value available so I can then take that to put on a, a down, down payment or a deposit for another property and um, have that tenant or whomever it is that I'm getting those payments from pay the policy back with interest. No, that's big, Ms. Weathers. That's, that is big. That's a tool that people can add to their, you know, the weaponry, I mean, whatever, like yeah. to understand that you can use a whole life insurance and you can use it while you're alive because that's, that is a stigma. Like life insurance is only used at death. And why does it benefit me? It's only going to benefit my family, but this can literally benefit you today. It could benefit your family yeah. later on in life. You know, instead of seeing that same old, same old story about the GoFundMe account before GoFundMe was, you know, collecting money within the family, find out who had the most money and that have that person pay it, you know, right. But this right here is a game changer that, you know, I, I love that you're, you're letting us know about. Yeah, it's a big game changer. Um, I would definitely recommend a, a book called uh, Become the Banker. It will teach you all about uh, this concept of infinite banking and how you can use it um, to pay for regular expenses or, or investments. So um and, and, and think about it like this. The reason it's called, the book is called Become the Banker is because this is exactly what the banks do. And this is what the banks have been doing for decades. Yeah. They use insurance. And so it's just figuring out um, how they do it and, and applying it to you. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm real big on that. Not having to reinvent the wheel. Like, yeah, <laughs> reinvent the wheel. Don't do it. You know, don't, you don't do get it. any more points for that. You sure don't. <laughs> And now, so now I want to just go ahead and segue into, you know, we said all of this, you gave us a lot of great content, a lot of great knowledge. I really appreciate it again. I want to go yeah. right into your, uh, the academy that you're building. Like, uh, can you tell us what that is about, uh, what it comes with? Can you, can you let us know about that, please? Yeah, absolutely. So I, I just uh, founded the Breaking Curses Real Estate Investing Academy. I'm really excited about it. Um, it is particularly for minority women um, who are interested in breaking curses within their communities. And what we do is we walk through what it is, first off, what your mindset should be to become a real estate investor. Um, the unfortunate thing about those curses within our community is that they put our mindset in a place that it, it, it shouldn't be and we need to work to get out of it, especially when it comes to understanding finances. Um, and the power of it. Um, and and just, just before I go into too much detail about the actual academy, I do want to talk a little bit about what I believe the breaking curses part of it is, is because 
you know, when I said before, I told you my story, how I got into real estate, um, I did look at my community and I did look at a lot of my friends and family and where they were and where they've always been for generation after generation. And um, not only financially, but in, in, in areas like healthcare and areas like education, um, injustices, um, I keep seeing it over and over. We all keep seeing it yeah. over and over and over again. And I'm a strong believer that your financial position can really affect those things. You know, a lot of people decide to fight injustices with, you know, going the political route or, you know, marching in the streets and becoming an advocate. I decide to fight these injustices and these curses through money. So that is why I decided to, to create this academy. So the very first thing, like I said, is about breaking the mindsets that we've all been accustomed to and really understanding the mindset that's required to be a real estate investor. Then we also talk about how it is that you can create a financial wellness plan for yourself. The ultimate goal is to create a solid, solid real estate investing plan. So I tell you about all the different strategies that are out there, you know, from fix and flips and buy and holds and Airbnbs and mortgage notes. We walk through all of these. We walk through what each of them require right? So as far as startup costs and the amount of time and energy that's going to be needed in each one of these strategies. And so once you learn about that, then we have you dive deep into you. All right, now that I know about mortgage notes, now that I know about Airbnbs and I know how much time it's going to take, um, is that something that I'm actually going to be able to do? Is that something that I'm interested in? Is that something that's going to create me the cash flow that I'm expecting. You know, if, if you're expecting to make $2,000 a month from Airbnb, is that realistic with the time and the energy and the money that you currently have? So it's really catered to your situation. And like I said, at the end of it, you're going to walk away with a solid real estate investing plan that fits you and your family's needs. No, that's, that's powerful. And that is something that's needed. Um, I, I definitely want to go into what, what are the requirements to get into your academy? Yeah. So I do require three things. One, you have to be a woman. Two, you have to have a desire to invest today. And three, you have to be teachable. You have to be teachable. You have to be open to changing your mindset. You have to be open to feeling, um, or excuse me, learning about different strategies and, and being creative. So those are my three criterias that I have. Um, and, you know, it's, I know not everyone may be in a financial position, currently right now, but within the academy, even if you're not strongly in a financial position, we even uh, teach you how to how to get there. So those are my three criterias. No, absolutely. And I want to go into the, the, the last part because, you know, like I said, you gave us a lot of content, a lot of stuff to digest. And I don't want this to go over nobody's head. I want you guys to rewind this video multiple, multiple times. Yes. Um, can you leave us with a part I mean, this segment right here, this is a part where I want you just to, you know, talk to the, to that young woman, um, that 25 year old woman that might not be in the, in the right situation. But, you know, what I say normally is like, it only takes you a year to change your life, you know, six months, you just, 
you know, just unplug from everything else and focus on you. But if you could just give some sort of motivation to that part, that young lady, you know, on how they can actually do what you're doing, what you're pursuing. Yeah. So I think the biggest thing that you just said was focusing on you and figuring out your why. Why is it that you want to get into real estate? What's motivating you? right? What is that, that passion that you have in you that makes you want to break these curses and build generational wealth? It might be totally different from mine. So you need to figure out what that is within you. And then the second thing I'd say is you need to realize as a woman, Honey, you have so many skills within you that most men will never have right? You have just innately, like I said before, you have this intuition within you. You have these this empathic way about you to know when you are dealing with certain people, if they are pulling your strings, you know that if something doesn't sound right. So that there, that having that intuition is a big advantage that you have as a woman. The second thing you have as a woman is that communication. We can talk, right? Women, we can talk. And being a real estate investor, it, it's all about communicating and being as detailed as you can and making sure that you are organized and that you are planning and you have all your ducks in a row. And I think those are those are really great things that women possess. Uh, not to say that men don't possess those characteristics, right? You know, there's some great <laughs> men out there who are great communicators and they're detailed and they're organized. Okay, okay, yes. But women, for some reason, we just innately come with that. And I don't know if that's because of that's that motherly, you know, part of us that, that tends to be within us, but we have it. Uh, a lot of men, they really have to practice at that and, oh, yeah. and hone that skill, you know? So um, use that to your advantage and know that going into to real estate as an investor, those are things that you're going to need and you already have it. The only thing you need to do from there is just get the education. It's just get the education. Think of it as anything else that you can say right now that you can do without even having to think about it, right? Like my grandma, she can cook some mad oxtails without even thinking about it, right? She don't even have to look at a recipe or anything. She knows that. Once you know something, you're never going to forget it. You're going to be able to pass it down. And it's just about tweaking it with those skills that you have to make it innately yours. So um, that's what I would say to the women out there. Like I said, if that education part if that's the one that that that's scaring you a bit like I said that's why I have my breaking curses real estate academy um, if you're interested you can always go to my website at tanyaweathers.com and you can quickly apply there there's a quick application um, and I would love to work with you it's 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 a big part of how we're gonna break the general generational curses and that's by educating ourselves. Because no, nobody else is going to do it. And if somebody else does it, they're not going to do it the right way. Yeah, you're right. You're right, Miss Weathers. <laughs> um, it's been a pleasure. I really appreciate you coming on here. Round number two. I think it was a lot cleaner than the first time anyway. You got it. <laughs> um, like I said, I just want to thank you. It. I appreciate you doing it and yeah. taking time out of your day. And can you quickly plug in all your, your handles so people can find you? We're definitely going to yep. also have it in the description box. So if you don't... Write it all down immediately. You can definitely find the description box. 
Yeah, yeah. Like I said, you can um, always find me on my website, uh, www.tanyaweathers.com. But mostly I am on Instagram. That is my platform of choice. So uh, you go to Instagram at Tanya Weathers and I'll be there. Drop by, say hi. Tell me what you're up to. Awesome. Thank you again, Ms. Weathers. You're welcome. Thank you.